I actually understand why people are into, what is it, ASMR? ASMR. That's the creepiest thing. But It freaks me out. So I have this thing, that I think, I think I have this thing called misophonia. My mom like for sure has it. Whoa. Where you have a fight or flight response to certain sounds. So for me, it's people chewing with their mouth open. And so I either want to punch them in the face or I have to leave the room. Yeah. I'm with that with gum chewing. Yep. Yeah. There's been Ubers where they are chewing their gum and I almost want to like- You can't, there's no, there's no like socially acceptable way to be like, stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> stop what you're doing. <laughs> I think I want to leave that in the podcast for the beginning part. <laughs> I'm cool with it. Hey guys, I'm Alicia Tova and welcome to The Freelance Hustle, a podcast for go-getters. Each week, I'll be sharing pieces of my story along with fellow hustlers so you can run your business like a pro. So Eric, if you could just tell us a little bit about you, what you do for a living and how you got into filmmaking and photography. It all started in seventh grade. I had a Spanish class video project and I had a friend who knew how to edit movies on his home computer and I was obsessed with the process. It blew my mind that you could make a movie at home and I immediately have started having these dreams of like being a Hollywood director and doing all this crazy stuff. And so year after year after that, middle school into, junior, into uh, high school, into college. I just kept making stupid videos with my friends and class projects and just kind of birthed that creative side of me uh, with filmmaking. Were you like a Vine guy? Uh, no, I did. Because I, I, I was like late to getting a smartphone and I was a bit too old for Vine. But I was also like, I went to school to be a teacher and all of my students were so into Vine and they quoted Vine all the time. And I had no idea what they were talking about. So <laughs> I think had it come out at the right time, I probably would have been a Vine guy. You would have crushed the vine game. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me think because what, like now TikTok is the new vine? Yeah. And everybody's we're telling old. me to, yeah, I know. We're too old. What is a TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> hey, youth, can you please tell me? How, well, how long have you been doing this professionally for then? Professionally, uh, I'd say the first year I would have called myself a professional was probably 2014. So I transitioned into shooting weddings uh, around 2011, 2012, where some friends and their siblings were asking me to shoot their weddings. And then it was around that time where I was starting to shoot about a dozen weddings a year and felt comfortable calling myself a professional. And when did you get into filmmaking for weddings? The first wedding I ever shot was video and I didn't start doing photo until I shot my first photo wedding, I believe six months after that first film wedding. So it kind of happened simultaneously. And I felt like I quickly became better at photography because I was so not willing to learn all of the, the, the structured, like real parts of filmmaking. So I kind of floundered for like four or five years, just putting out average films. And it wasn't until maybe four years ago where I like really knew the foundation and basic basics and learn those things and then started applying all those principles to my films. And then it just became exponentially better because I, I already knew how to tell stories. I knew how to be engaging. I just didn't know the technical parts. And as soon as those two things clicked, magic started happening. Yeah, you're quite a unicorn. I don't think many people are as good at both video and photo as you are. Thank you. 
I know from you, you pour a lot of energy into your photography business, your YouTube business. You have a large following on Instagram. You go on people's podcasts. Like You really cover such a wide scope of the creative field. I'm wondering what platforms you've had the most connection with and you've had the most fun growing your business from. I really had a lot of fun uh, growing an Instagram account. I thought that was really cool to be able to interact with you know people who were interested in the work that I had to put out in the world, but also other photographers. It's, I started to realize that I talk about this on my channel all the time uh, and on all the platforms, like my catchphrase is lean into what makes you different. Once I started realizing that all the people that inspired me, like taking bits and pieces from them and finding my own creative voice, once I started actually finding that voice and putting it into practice, it was really cool to see the response of people, how then I started to be a, a voice of inspiration for them. And that was really creatively fulfilling for me. That started to happen on, on Instagram, but also like Facebook groups. And that's not so much a thing anymore, but Facebook groups like looks like film. I was really big into that. And, you know, part of that was narcissistic, like, oh, people really love my photo or whatever, but it really helped project me into this different style of leaning into those creative things that nobody else is doing. And then YouTube started. Yeah. Duh, yeah. Duh, duh. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I started actually caring about YouTube back in, you know, 2017, 2018. Who are your main inspirations then? Uh, for YouTube? Yeah. From YouTube? Yeah. I think a lot of people will give this answer uh, that Casey Neistat is one of the biggest inspirations I have from YouTube. If you're unfamiliar with him, he's a guy who did a vlog for like 500 days straight. And before that, he made viral videos before YouTube was even a thing. People passed him around via email and a .mov file. So this guy just absurdly absurdly creative mind, an incredible storyteller, but someone who isn't technically proficient in filmmaking as much as, you know, the really beautiful, amazing filmmakers are. But what's better is that his story overtakes all of that. And that's what makes him so interesting, Him that and his personality and the scene, you know, the setting of New York. So that was huge inspiration for me. And then also uh, two friends of mine who I met in Chicago, uh, their names are Daniel and Rachel. They have a YouTube channel called Mango Street. And that was kind of honing in more on my uh, genre of what YouTube is with uh, photography and filmmaking. So I'd say those two are uh, huge inspirations for me uh, with, with getting started. But then recently, uh, a lot of financial YouTube channels have been inspiring wow. me, which is really weird. Yeah. Uh, but I've been kind of doing the same exact thing I did on Instagram and Facebook with like finding this cocktail of inspiration and creating my own creative voice again. And now all of a sudden I'm making these videos about photography and filmmaking, but including the financial part of it. And people are just eating it alive. Do you remember when you made your first video on YouTube and how have you seen the growth from your own perspective on your channel? Anybody who has like a YouTube channel that's yeah. 10 years old has those dumb videos at yeah. the beginning and yeah, I yeah, have yeah. them as well. And I've only kept one public. I was gonna say. <laughs> the one that has the most views out of my whole channel, which is so dumb, <laughs> is this like Christian rap artist. And we, me and my oh. friend were like da dancing in the street. It was, it's really embarrassing, but I like to keep myself humble and just leave it up there so that people can find it still. Respect. But I've made all the other ones private. So it, whenever I put something out on YouTube, it was just, oh, I want to share this with some friends. And that's where I just put it. 
and had no expectation of it having any long-term success or whatever until I started following people like Casey Neistat and Mango Street and seeing that, oh, wait, this is a different way you can grow your brand. And again, narcissistically and incentive to grow my own Instagram, yeah. like that kind of. Yeah. And while that might be a really shallow perspective of seeing growth, it was still a really powerful way to grow my own personal brand by starting to do this. And so the way I fostered that was the way I saw it with Mango Street, doing photo tutorials, doing videos video tutorials, trying to get on uh, photo blogs, get the videos posted there so that they, you know, go further. And then from there, I started to realize, okay, well, I don't just want to be posting tutorials all the time. That's not what I'm passionate about. I want to share my life. I want to share every aspect of who I am. And then it just became this constant battle of, okay, what well, am I going to make the video that's going to be statistically successful or I'm going to do the thing that like inspires me creatively. And so it's just been the process of the last three years has been a balance of, okay, how do I do each thing well, you know, it's okay to try to go for the viral video every once in a while. Yeah. It's okay to do the passion project that gets no views. As long as I'm just being true to like what I care about and what I want to teach and, and show people, you know, as far as what I've learned and what I want to show them, that's all that matters. Did you start out with like, would you see 100 views and then 150? and then 800 and then 20,000. Like how does someone go from 100 views on YouTube to 45,000 views on YouTube? There are all sorts of ways you can strategically approach building a YouTube channel and no one way is better than the other because everybody's different, everybody's process is different and it's all about what you want to do. I think first and foremost, and this is what I preach about my photography and filmmaking, if the philosophy and the passion isn't there first and foremost, you're gonna burn out. And if you can't figure out why you do what you do, you're just going to flounder and stop. And I see that all the time with people who want to start YouTube channels. Oh, I'm gonna start putting out content, like all this stuff. And then, it, you know, they're putting video after video out and all of a sudden they just drop off the face of the earth. Yeah, they're and tired. it's done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd never want to see that for anybody. So um, I think a lot of what happens with that is people get really discouraged by the view count, not growing a channel. I guess the specific pieces of advice I can give is find a niche first, find a crowd of people that are interested in the topic that you know something about. Who do you think your niche is? Uh, right now, it's primarily creative people in general, but mm -hmm. more specifically photographers and filmmakers mm -hmm. because that's primarily what I am. But I feel like in the past few months or the past year, it's kind of been extending past that. More creative people, creative business people. So that's where I'm starting to see like, oh, well, my niche is where I started. And those people will still follow me based on the broader topics I'm doing. But the, these broader topics are going to you know, widen the spread of people that might be interested in listening or watching. Yeah, I think you had a strong core right from the beginning of how I see it. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I see a lot of your followers also being people who maybe have like one year, two years in the industry are looking to really pivot or grow their brand and are like, okay, education isn't going to get me that far. Like who else can I lean on as inspiration and guidance and education? And you were that and are that for them. Yeah. And that's always going to be like, there are always going to be people fulfilling that role and stepping into that role as people transition out of the one to two year and start getting success and finding success. There are going to be more people stepping into the, the first and second year. So that's really cool. And that's a really strategic way to get your foot in the door because as long as you are providing at the beginning, you're providing value to them. That's the, the most important thing. And that's when videos, uh, you know, the algorithm picks them up or, you know, there's all sorts of strategies you can do with keywords and tagging 
writing and thumbnails and all of like the ways to try to crack the algorithm. But the core thing is that the content needs to have value. It needs to sit with them in a way that something else didn't. And so that could be that could be telling you a really vivid, awesome story or appealing to their emotions and really like truly not the most like a millennial way, inspiring people, pushing them to action. And I even remember you saying once like, oh, I, I cracked the code on like the time for my video. Like one time I did a 20 minute video, I actually needed to be 10 minutes. Yeah. Or yeah, I'm sure it's a lot of experimentation. Have there ever been a time where you're like, whoa, that bombed? Or have oh, yeah. you just kept learning and shifting? Yeah. yeah so when it comes to the time thing, you have someone like David Dobrik, who's just a YouTube sensation and, and his, all of his videos are four minutes and 20 seconds long. It's a joke. I don't know if it's inappropriate for me, a 30-year-old, to have like a total crush on <laughs> this like 21-year-old. I, I don't know. Basically. My friends and I are obsessed with him. Oh, Anyways, go. Oh, <laughs> me too. I have a crush on him. Uh, yeah. So you... you and his reasoning for that is it's jam-packed in this short window of time and mm -hmm. people's attention spans are only so long. That's why he keeps it at that length. Yeah. But then you have people who are posting 15-minute, 20-minute long mm -hmm. vlogs and they have a faithful following. Someone like Emma Chamberlain who's just like going on and on about her coffee business. But her, she's so entertaining. And so it's all about approach. I think more specifically what you're talking about in the past with the 10-minute thing, that kind of gets more into analytics and making money then. Because then mm. if you get past the 10-minute barrier, you can start putting ads in the middle of your video. And so there's incentive to do that. Whereas David Dobrik isn't relying on ad revenue because his content isn't deemed mm -hmm. appropriate for the platform. Yeah. And so he gets demonetized. Yeah. Talk us more about affiliate sales and partnership opportunities and how you've navigated that as you've grown your YouTube channel. Yeah. Again, totally different based on the channel. Say you're a channel that talks strictly about finance. You have what's called a CPM, clicks per mil, which is how much money you make per thousand views on your videos. And so YouTube determines what that rate is for you based on the content. And so if you are a financial channel, that CPM rate is very high. If you're a beauty channel, that's also high. So there are different topics and genres that do very well because the advertisers that want to advertise on those videos will bid for higher positions for advertising on them because the people who watch them have more money in their pocket to spend. So if you're just vlogging and you're just that person who's doing travel vlogs, your CPM is way lower because most people who watch your stuff don't have the money to spend on whatever they want to sell to them. So that's another reason why it's like, oh, that's more incentive for me to start talking more about financial things from a monetary perspective with ad revenue. But is that the only way I want to go? Because I still want to talk about photo and video and creative things, even though that's not going to pay as well on the ad rate side, I can then integrate sponsorships. So then I could start partnering with brands that are heavy hitters in the industry who will pay much more than ad revenue would do on a video. So that manifests itself in 45 to 90 second ads on a video or a dedicated video for that uh, that company who wants to sell a product or whatever. Then you, you also have affiliate sales with those. So they might pay you a, a flat fee for advertising on your video. And then you have a link in your bio where anybody who clicks and either buys or signs up for a membership, you get a, a kickback mm. for however many people signed up for it. Have 
have you ever been overwhelmed or underwhelmed by the amount of sales you make in a video? Absolutely, yeah. So sometimes you think video is going to do really well, and you think they're going to have a high CPM. And you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to make bank on this, and you know, you make fifty bucks, and you're like, oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and to some people, like along the way, I honestly, I love every single dollar I make on the platform. Like mm -hmm. it, it fuels me. Yeah. It, it was so funny. Like a year ago, I was showing everybody in the studio, like, look, my channel made five dollars today, mm -hmm. and they're like, who cares? And I'm like, you don't see yeah. the opportunity that this is. Yeah, I remember actually when you made 120 on one video and you were jazzed yeah. and I was jazzed for you. But I get what you're saying. Like it can lead to other opportunities. And I'm sure it's also feeding your soul knowing that however many thousands of people are watching and taking what you're saying to heart, it's probably very rewarding. It, yeah, it's wild to get DMs on Instagram and Twitter and stuff saying that I motivated someone to do X, Y, and Z yeah. or they're pursuing a career in photography now because I've inspired them to do so. They feel empowered to do it because of what I've taught them. More than anything, that's what's that's what's the coolest, honestly. But the fact that I could be making money while doing that is really special because of my background in education. Like I already felt so much incentive to do that as an educator. Now I get to do it for the thing I'm most passionate about. And it's, it's just, the, again, this cocktail of all all of my skills I've developed over the past, you know, 15 years, all merging into one on this platform. Would you encourage other creatives, photographers to get on YouTube? Like how do you approach YouTube with your peers? I tell everybody to start a YouTube channel, full well knowing that a, a fractional percentage of those people will actually do it. I think first and foremost, the thing, the hang up that people have on it is that they're, they're just afraid. They're afraid to put their face in front of a camera. They're nervous to do that. They're afraid to, you know, put their voice out into the world. And once you overcome that step, as I'm sure you've experienced in the podcasting world, you realize like, how did I think that? On the other side of it, <laughs> on the other side of it, you're just like, how did I think that was a good idea? Once you start seeing the benefits of actually doing it, the connections you can make, how you can grow your brand and business, uh, it's wild. So, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. No, I. Long story short, everyone goes to yeah. a YouTube oh, channel. But, yeah, but also like with <laughs> what's funny is people will say they do it, and like I said earlier, you see a couple videos roll out and then they burn out because they're not seeing the kind. They don't realize how much hard work and dedication. Oh yeah, it's insane. Like people talk about it all the time, but I can't even count the number of nights I stayed up till three a.m. finishing an edit. I can speak for Eric when I've seen him editing and all of the work that goes into his videos and everyone listening, you're probably going to go watch one of his YouTube videos and say, there is no way I'm going to be able to create something technically that good. What would you say to people who, who are starting a YouTube channel? Like what could they start with that would help them even just record a video and get them onto YouTube? Who knows maybe like enough about equipment starting off? Totally. And this is where I would plug that uh, financial channel that I'm like most obsessed with is, is Graham Stephan. He is a real, oh, yeah. real estate agent based out of Los Angeles. And he shoots, he shoots with a very, very simple setup in his garage and the dude makes almost $2 million in ad revenue on his channel every year. Yeah. And he has no intention of making his setup any better or more quality. And some people might look at his setup and be like, I can't even do that. But you have to realize he started, like his first videos were literally just him for 20 minutes talking to his iPhone. Wow. In a place he was showing for yeah. real estate. And the most important thing here is that, again, value. Mm -hmm. I have another friend I'm, I'm 
meeting with in two days. I'm so pumped to meet him. He's another financial guy. He's in Chicago. His name's Quentin and he's doing a debt-free story. His whole cool. channel is like dedicated to that. And he's about a month away from being debt-free. And he just sits at his desk with an iPhone face towards him. And he has his jar of change and a couple of financial books. And he just talks about his journey. And he has a very faithful following of people who are so interested in what's going to happen next and his moves financially. And so interested in paying off debt and that type of conversation. And I think that then goes back to, again, finding your niche audience and really honing in on that in the beginning stages. Yeah. So I think the the combination of value and vulnerability in the most authentic way, and a lot of these are buzzwords, but like really analyzing and saying, okay, I'm going to be transparent with you and I'm going to give you value. And that's what I've realized is so successful for me with anything that I do on the platform because, and, and really to show people that I'm transparent, at times I'll goof on myself. I'll make fun of myself. I'll tell people how I messed up, uh, mistakes that I made, or even just showing them things that people don't feel comfortable showing, like my YouTube analytics or how much money I made. Uh, and just being fully transparent, letting them know like this is exactly what's going on so that I can earn their trust so that whenever I teach them something new, they're going to listen. Yeah, that's how I met you. I remember when I moved to Chicago, I was just trying to find a photo community. And I remember following you on Instagram for a few months before actually meeting you. And I definitely felt that connection with you without knowing you yet. Mm. You do a really good job of showing your personality, your family, and also what you're up to and what you're excited about. Mm -hmm. And I think that really resonates with people. What are some tips that you would have for fellow creatives who are sharing themselves, their work, their lives on social media, be it YouTube or Instagram? What have you seen either with your peers or yourself that you think really resonates or things for people to lean into or avoid? Yeah, I think it's kind of piggybacking off of what you just said is uh, just not putting on a fake life. It's incredibly rewarding to just show who you are, what you're struggling with, what you're doing, being vulnerable from time to time, not just like using your Instagram as a journal or whatever, but allowing people to see value in the struggles that you're going through because everyone goes through them. I remember one specific time on Instagram where I made the post and it was, it was a black and white photo of my friend who was a bride. It was right before her ceremony. And the caption said, I know this is a photo that's not going to get all the likes and it's not like the Instagram banger and I'm fine with that. And this is, I wrote all this out. I'm, I'm fine with that because this photo means a lot to her and it means a lot to me because it was literally the moment she found out, okay, we're leaving the bridal suite and we're going to go to the ceremony right now. And with that context, you could see like her lips were separated. You could see she was inhaling. You could see on her face, oh my goodness, it's about to happen. And it was just a simple black and white. I changed it to black and white because the lighting was bad in that room and didn't think much about it until that story. And the response was overwhelming. Just a flood of comments being like, this is incredible. This moment is awesome. The story is really cool. Wow. And then it ended up getting like more likes than any of my then other like photos. All your crazy. Yeah. And I remember a specific comment being like, says it won't get a ton of likes, yeah. gets a ton of likes. <laughs> And that's obviously not the metric for success, likes yeah. and comments, but they are indicators to tell you what is important and what's not. And 
if I find myself constantly posting things that are just superficial and only for those clicks, I have to ground myself and realize like, oh no, I need to go back to my roots and yeah. share with people what's important. And that's when from time to time, I will do a post like that. That really kind of shares my heart. And I try to do that as much as possible on my YouTube channel as well. So where can people find you these days? Talk us through, I know you're doing a lot of mentoring and educating. For people listening, how how can they get involved with that? Yeah, the, the three biggest places you can find me are on Instagram at eric.floberg, my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Eric Floberg. And then I started using Twitter a lot more recently. So, oh, cool. And that's Eric underscore Floberg. Any dad jokes in there? Oh, all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm all about that life. Eric has three kids. Yeah. I was about to say two. And yeah, then he, it's three now. It's three. Yeah, we're outnumbered. Yeah. But it's funny. It's like I can't I can't get the same uh, username across all the platforms. Mm. It's like all taken in everyone. So I don't know. Just search up my name. Search, I'm sure you'll find yeah, it. Yeah, look for Eric. Yeah. And if you're interested in learning more from me, whether it's mentorship in photography, filmmaking, YouTube, creative business, finance, any of that stuff, you can go to my website. It's just ericfloberg.com. And I have a uh, tab there for education. You can fill out the form, shoot me an email. Um, and then, yeah, on Instagram and YouTube, I'm always talking about workshops and things I have going on. So you can find it there. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Eric. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Bye. See ya. See ya. <laughs> Editing and original music by Camden Stacy and my manager slash producer of the show, Sonia Garlick. Thanks so much for listening all. Stay tuned for more episodes each week and make sure to hit that subscribe button. I'm Alicia Tova and you are listening to The Freelance Hustle.